Welcome to School of Everything Else. This is Big Data. If seven thieves steal seven keys, the internet as we know it could come to an end. This could be the last podcast. The seven trusted representatives that the internet protectors, I can, have tasked with keeping the internet safe have been systematically targeted and attacked. I can. They decided they needed to make sure that no one person or country had too much control over the internet. So they made seven keys and chose seven different key holders from seven different parts of the world. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. If the wrong people were to get their hands on those keys, we would be in big trouble. An inevitable tech rule dystopian hellscape. But it's kind of the best security system on the planet. I mean, the keys are hemispheres apart. They're trying to collect those keys like Pokemon. And even if you could get them all, the safes those keys open, which are already behind hundreds of layers of security, including guards, retinal scanners, earthquake sensors, would be locked down even tighter. But someone is up to the challenge. From Busan to Nairobi, Dubai, Kitchener, Kinlakiu, Marshall, and El Segundo, criminals from all over the world are trying to shut down the internet. It's the largest heist that has ever happened, and it was perpetrated entirely by completely unqualified idiots. So I did what anyone would do in the situation. I started a podcast. Now, two reporters will use what little connection they have left to figure out what happened, what comes next, who started it, and how to stop them. I have the actual recordings of those crimes. Real-time heists from all over the world. This is Big Data. We are lucky enough to have with us today the creator of the Big Data audio drama, Mr. Ryan Estrada. Hello, Ryan. Hello, thanks for having me. Ryan originated in Michigan, is that correct? Mm-hmm. But currently hails from Busan, South Korea. At the time of this recording, episode three has been released of a total of nine, with the rest coming out over the next six weeks. So we're going to do this show in two parts. The first is all about how Big Data came together. The second is going to contain endgame spoilers. So we'll be releasing that second part after the ninth and final episode emerges, after which I will combine these two into one mega interview. So we're going to start with the early stages of development and work our way through to the conclusion, beginning with a brief, relatively spoiler-free synopsis of Big Data. So how do we do this? How do we, um, like, uh, we've all, I will already have played the trailer or the, the intro. Actually, no, you know, the trailer that you've got on, your, on the actual Big Data show is a really good mm-hmm. summation of it. Um, but if you want to, like, quick capsule it down into, like, one sentence or, like, slightly, like one paragraph, how about that? Yeah, well, Big Data is a show about stealing the internet, uh, and it's it's based on a real thing, which is that there are actually seven keys to the internet, and uh, I just thought it'd be fun to, to turn that into a heist story and see what would happen if people tried to steal them. <clears throat> now, a lot of people listening are going to be like, seven keys to the internet, that sounds remarkably D&D. Uh, and I, I, until you said it, I, honestly, I listened to all nine episodes twice. I never got that that seven keys thing was absolutely real. That's terrifying. So <laughs> this, it, did this whole thing come about as a result of you just finding that out? Or I mean, it's not common knowledge. Yeah, well, I, I read an article about it in The Guardian, uh, and it just it fascinated me. It just sounded like so – like the way they described it and the, the place they have to meet and do these ceremonies and they have retinal scanners and like all the security. It just sounded like – 
the most deep like spy story, but also sounded so mundane and dorky. Mm. Like mm. I, I couldn't believe that no one had ever made a heist story out of it. So I decided that I wanted to be the one to do it. So it's like it ends up being over the nine episodes, seven plus separate heists where somebody, usually somebody who is very specialized in one field, but very deficient in many others, uh, steals one of the keys each episode. Uh, That's pretty much a good summation of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, want, I wanted to make sure that everyone involved was the, the last person that should be involved. I, I didn't want to do the thing in Hollywood movies where you have to get the best hacker that can do anything. I just wanted people that can maybe do one thing mm. pretty well and have them try and use that. And maybe sometimes they succeed, sometimes they're terrible at it. But uh, I just want to make fun stories. I, I started checking down, uh, out your background and where you'd actually uh, been doing things like this before, and I uh, it, it began to make my brain ache as how much stuff you'd actually done. So, um, given that it's very extensive, can you summarize in one media-friendly soundbite the following? What's your background experience? Well, I uh, my original plan was just to I went to animation school and I was going to go ahead and move to California and work in the animation industry. Uh, and then the year I graduated was the same year the whole animation industry got laid off. Mm-hmm. And so on a whim, uh, at like 3 a.m., I got offered a job in Korea. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I accepted the job. And then the next morning, I went and found a map to figure out where Korea was. <laughs> and then I, I just did that, and I made my own comics. And I liked it so much that afterward, I'm like, well, I'm, I want to just keep doing this. So for a long time, I just moved to a new country every year and just kind of followed whatever creative endeavors I wanted to do. So I... I did a lot of graphic novels and different comic projects, and uh, and this recent trip to Korea, I got involved with a lot of actors and poets and comedians and radio people, and I thought it'd just be fun to bring them all together to work on this new project, which is how we got to Big Data. So all of the uh, the artwork that folks see when they come come to your websites, that's all drawn by you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what what were you like? Sort of bring you back to to what you were studying for. But what was your dream then? Before the, I mean, I was, we're talking like very early two thousands, just before around about the time that Disney decided, yeah, we're, we're done doing two um, D cell animation. Because this is another huge interest of ours. Um, what was your dream then at, at the time? Just to, in terms of like, yeah, uh, the dream then was to go work for Disney, do that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, animate on the big animated features. But then, like, after I started traveling and doing my own thing and hearing it about, like, all my friends that had followed that route or uh, reading more about it, it just seemed so not for me. Like, the the way that you have to put in, like, decades of grunt work before you can even mm-hmm. think about making a creative suggestion. Yeah. And for me, that's the interesting part is developing ideas and building worlds and, uh, you know, spending 20 years drawing the in-betweens of someone's in-betweens of a script that you didn't write. Just, I, I couldn't imagine what my life would have been like if, if I hadn't had to flee the country penniless and work in Korea. Different kind of creativity. I completely concur, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not insulting anyone that does that. It's great oh, yeah, work. It's yeah, just, yeah. Not, it's just not the part of the process that I enjoy. Yeah. So, um, feeding directly into big data. So should I call it big data or big data? 
I, you know, I honestly cannot remember how I pronounced that word before <laughs> I started because I cast so many people from so many parts of the world and of every course, one of yeah. them pronounced it differently. So wow. I go for it. However you pronounce it, well, I'll let's, follow Let's you. pronounce it like Mr. Data then. Um, okay. So we'll just say Data. Oh, so what other stories and productions inspired you growing up that fed into this project? Because obviously you've got the, the core concept of the seven uh, internet keys, but there's, there's got to be other things that kind of fed into that. Yeah, the the biggest kind of influence for me these days, storytelling is, uh, you know, I talked about when I first went to Korea in the early 2000s, and it was really cool coming here because it was like I discovered this whole new uh, history of film that I, you know, I had grown up in America watching Hollywood films, and it just so happened that in that decade in Korea, there was some amazing filmmaking being done, mm-hmm. and I got to see all these films that they kind of took Hollywood conventions but went a completely different way. And uh, like I said, with what I was trying to do, it's never the best spy or the best hacker or the best monster hunter. It's always like the last person that should be involved. Mm. And, uh, and it, it makes it so much more interesting and personal when you see these people that are completely ill-prepared for uh, what they're doing. Like, for example, there's one movie called Leitoro Kira. The English name is Breakout. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, it's like a kind of under siege style movie or die hard where there's a, a train that's been hijacked and there's only one man that can save everyone. Uh, but the only reason he's trying to, to go after the gangster is because the gangster stole his lighter. Right. Uh, it's like a, a 50 cent lighter that he bought and he just, he's wrapped up his entire sense of self worth in it. And it sounds like just a goofy, like cartoony movie, but like I, I so, I so care about him getting his lighter back far more than I care about John McClane saving the day because it's so personal. And that's kind of, there's a lot of movies like that. And watching those kind of inspired me to, to kind of follow that side of storytelling and just kind of the, the people that you wouldn't expect to see in that story and try and make high stakes out of what they care about. So if you can uh, draw it down to one day when you just thought, well, I'm going to do this, how did the project begin proper and how did it develop from there? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd read that article um, a while back, but it, it, I didn't think of it as a radio drama until uh, just one day I was just thinking about all the, the people that I met in this recent trip to Busan. Uh, and you know, I, I have this thing... I'd never even considered doing anything like that. I'd never really done acting or anything like that or directing, but I have this thing called the, uh, not my jam challenge where if I, if I catch myself turning down an opportunity for no reason other than that, it's not my jam. I have to do it. Right. So like if it, you know, if it's, if I can't afford it or if it's too dangerous or I, you know, I can turn up things down. I'm not like Jim Carrey and the yes man, but like, one day someone said, hey, we're having an open mic. You want to do it? I'm like, no. It's, oh, okay, I guess I have to. And then while I was there, someone said, hey, that was good. We're doing Shakespeare. You want to do that? And I'm like, no. I, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I do. And that led to doing poetry slams and comedy nights and uh, getting a job at the local radio station. And through doing all these things, I met all of these people, these really talented people who are uh, here in Korea and, you know, because they have work visas for doing other things, they can't really do that professionally here in Korea. Mm. And I just thought it would be really cool to work with all these people on this big project that I could tie everyone together. And then that I was trying to think of something that 
some story I could tell that would have different people from all these different parts of the world. And I remembered that uh, big data idea that I'd had about the seven keys and seven thieves. And so uh, I started writing that. So you effectively started with the with the kernel of an idea and then you got the cast and then the whole thing came together from that. That was that was going to be the um, question six, actually. Like the casting process after that, how did you start giving them roles, and 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 how the hell did you get Jermaine Clement, Felicia Day, Paul F. Tompkins, etc.? Yeah, the the main thing was always to uh, show off like the really great cast we have here in Korea, mm-hmm. and I had uh, I had an audition. I ended up so many people signed up for auditions that I had to rent out a bar for an entire day uh, and like had a line of people waiting. And I just kind of uh, brought some scenes. I had people uh, read the scenes and do some improv. And then I had written most of the script already, but I left some things so that I could kind of tie it to the people that I was uh, casting and play to their strengths. So I, I found my local actors and then uh, from there, the the guest stars just kind of you know I wanted something some people that could bring in more listeners and bring attention to the the other actors. Uh, Jermaine Clement, I got involved because uh, he was he was doing a Kickstarter for his movie, mm-hmm. uh, What We Do in the Shadows. So I had a, a way oh. to contact him directly, and I just one of his uh, uh, tears was that he would record an audio thank you for backers so i messaged him i I sucked up with some fan art and i'm like hey i know that's a totally different thing but if you're gonna record anyway what if i uh pledge some money and then you record the opening to my show and and he said yes and then you know from there I'm, i'm able to drop his name and go to some some agents and some other people and you know the the more connections you make the more names you get the easier it is to approach other people and uh it just kind of spiraled out of control and i brought in lots of uh guest stars and spent a lot of money how did uh, felicia day turn up because uh she uh like, like that she's one of the names that people sort of like go through this when i suggest that they check it out and go oh felicia day's in it so so how did that happen she was one of the last people that came on board i had uh went on her website found an email and uh, asked if she was interested, and she was always off shooting something. So I was talking with her assistant, mm-hmm. and uh, her assistant really liked the idea and was like kind of on my team, and kind of like I'm going to see if I can talk her into it. And then one day when she didn't have anything to shoot, uh, she just said, "Yeah, I'll do this." And so the assistant helped me set it up, and we uh, nice. we got her involved. And uh, it was it was interesting uh, that because her character kind of weaves through the whole series. Mm-hmm. We, so we'd recorded so many scenes with people talking to this character that wasn't there and just pausing. Mm-hmm. So then I got to go back to all these actors and be like, Hey, guess what? You're in a scene with Felicia day. They're like, wait, what? How'd I do that? <laughs> in this excerpt here, Felicia day plays an FBI agent trying to keep control of a very chaotic, uh, conference call. You also hear the character Dallas Spieler, and it's her podcast that's reporting on this uh, these seven internet key heists. So the big data podcast that she's uh, putting out, which may be the last podcast, is causing a lot of trouble for a lot of people. What are you people even talking about? I don't know what you think you're protecting. This is a bad guy we're dealing with. You just said with. you don't know who my source is. How do you know they're bad or a guy? Hey. Hey! Hey, hey, have you ruled out Luddites? We were just talking about that. What the hell are you... Shut your butt. 
I mean, yeah. they, they hate technology. You shut they, they smashed printing you presses. Shut it. I mean, shut what, what is the internet? Shut the global it. printing press. People. Well, yeah, but was, they were like 200 years ago, though. There are neo-Luddites. Just a lot of them? I, I don't know. I can't exactly just count their Twitter followers. Pe people. No, they don't. They, hey! Don't use computers. Hey, hey! Just stop. Shut up. I don't even know what you're talking about. What is wrong with you people? I have more information than you could ever imagine, but it's never enough to end this. I don't know who your source is. I don't know what they have to do with any of this. But I know they have something to do with this. And I know they're standing in the way of me ending this, so I will end them. I want you to think about who else is standing in my way, Spieler. I want you to think about who is going to end up ended. Wow, that got creepy fast. Yeah, I'm a reporter. My job is to find and share information. I'm releasing it as fast as I find it. You're welcome to listen to my show, but I'm not turning in my drive, I'm not going off the air, and I'm not turning in my source. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I mean, that, that, that sounds about right. Listen, listen, uh, listen. I guess so. It's you should kind know. Of a weird gray area. Weird, uh... And it goes without saying that the phrase shut your butt has sort of entered our lexicon. So, uh, like, Paul F. Tompkins would not have registered on, on, on our radar until we saw Bojack. We, we ate the whole like three seasons in a row in, in the course of like a week, just a couple of uh, weeks ago. But now suddenly it's like, you got Mr. Peanut Butter? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that he was one of the, I think he's the only one that actually went through an agent. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge Paul F. Tompkins fan. Mm. Uh, he just, uh, no, just from his work in podcasts, like mm. every single, you know, I've discovered a lot more recently, but at the time I started writing, like every single fiction podcast that I'd ever listened to mm -hmm. and been in love with, like he is one of the driving forces of it. So I knew I really wanted to have him involved. And I, yeah. I talked to his agent and, uh, and set it up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting going through an agent because like, uh, you know, I, I set everything up with her and then I, I got the number and told when to call. And then he had no idea who I was or why I was calling. Mm -hmm. I had to remind him. And uh, so, but it was, once we got it going, it was great. Radio Shack. What is I Ken's deal? Excuse me? This is Dallas Spieler from the podcast Big Data. You asked me to call if I had any questions about... The woman who's sitting outside my window in a creepy van staring at me with a phone to her ear? Yeah, I got that. Did you have a problem with the computer or, or what, what, what was your question? My question is, I can. What's their whole deal? I can. I mean, I know obviously they're the internet coalition of assigned names and numbers, but like, what do they do? And what's with their keys and stuff? It's international corporation and, uh, okay, picture an old black and white movie. Someone's making a phone call, so they ask the operator to connect them, and she has to physically plug a cable in to connect the two lines. Got it. That's basically what ICANN does. You want to go to cats.com, so you type that in your browser. That request goes to ICANN. They look up in their little phone book the actual IP address of the server cats.com is stored on, and you get connected. It's all invisible, automated, and done in milliseconds. Okay, so what's with the keys? Oh, okay, so now that they were basically tasked with keeping this massive global network from descending into chaos, they decided they needed to make sure that no one person or country had too much control over the internet. So they made seven keys and chose seven different key holders from seven different parts of the world. None of them can do anything to the internet without the other. The keys to the internet. Yeah. Each of the key holders is some kind of an expert on information technology. Every few months, they meet up and have a key signing ceremony where they use those keys to essentially reset 
all the passwords and keep the internet running smoothly. This is a real thing? This is a real thing. So all it would take to shut down the internet is those seven keys? Well, it technically only takes three of them, but it's kind of the best security system on the planet. I mean, the keys are hemispheres apart. And even if you could get them all, the safes those keys open, which are already behind hundreds of layers of security, including guards, retinal scanners, hand scanners, passwords, vault doors, cages, earthquake sensors, would be locked down even tighter. I mean, if you did manage to get past all that, they have backups and backups of their backups. So what would happen if someone did pull it off? Well, then I guess, hypothetically, they could get access to the root key. Root key? That's basically the master password to the internet, even though it's making me physically uncomfortable to simplify it that much. But the, uh, the the majority of the cast, how many voices ended up in there? Like 72 or something? 70, yeah, 72. That includes my cat, though. So 73, including my cat. So And actually, what, there's like a little kid in there. Is that is that your little kid or just sort of little kid, you know? Uh, no, that's uh, – I'm uh, I, I teach at a library and I ah. got a uh, – I had I, I that was one of the lessons in English class that day is everyone improvise a song, and then uh, I chose the best one. Got it, got it. Yeah, no, he's he's the one that signs off at the end with you at uh, in the credits. Um, so I mean, but like most of these. Oh, you, oh, I know what kid you're talking about at the the end of the first few episodes. Yeah, yeah. That's actually uh, the daughter of Taika Waititi, who is the director of Thor Ragnarok. Holy crap! where he's trying to get her to say the name of the show. Mm-hmm. But I think she thought he was saying Dada. Right. And so she was Big Dada. instead of Dada. And so she just gotcha. she just thought she was talking about a very large father, I guess. Gotcha. Uh, we, we love uh, what we do in the shadows and Eagle vs. Shark and really looking forward to Thor Ragnarok. So that's that's a hell of a get as well. Well done. Did, did you get to him through Jermaine? Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, they both recorded that uh, together. That's lovely. This is Big Dada. I was saying another thing about the the guest stars that was important Mm -hmm. is that uh, the way I was able to get so many people and tie them in seamlessly is that I, uh, first of all, I I wrote all of the guest star rules very specifically that they were characters that were only heard over the phone Mm -hmm. uh, because it's, you know, if, if I were to record someone, try to make it sound like they're in the same room, it would sound kind of messy, you know, different audio, different microphones. And it's hard for someone to respond and make it sound like they're really in a room with someone. So I made sure they were characters that were only heard over the phone. And I also wanted to make sure that, uh, um, you know, like if if you're working with a guest star, you never know if you're going to get their a game. Like, you know, I I didn't have the chance to rehearse with them, anything like that. So I, I wrote roles specifically that like, uh, they were able to do without having to prep a lot and yeah. have like big emotional reactions. You know, and I, I actually ended up getting a lot of really emotional reactions from them, mm. but I wanted to make sure that if I didn't get that, it would still work. That makes and sense. luckily everyone kind of, you know, gave, gave it their all and worked out great. But, um, I think that it, a lot of planning in, it was what made me able to do it. Cause I was able to go to them and say, look, I only need 15 minutes of your time. Uh, and you know, so, you know, some, some of them are in the show a lot longer, mm-hmm. but some of them, you know, we recorded for 15 minutes and, you know, almost all of it is in the show mm-hmm. and they're, I'm able to have them as a recurring character because of all that planning. Mm-hmm. But the majority of uh, actors in the actual, uh, uh, production are, um, were they, uh... Uh, were they amateurs or were they, were they um, uh, like, you know, actual voiceover actors who, because 
there's so much of a range of voices. And uh, if, since there was an auditioning process, I, I assumed, was it down to their, their vocal qualities or, or, or what was it that, that got you, them in? Yeah, well, it is, it's a huge mix of people. All different. Like some of the people uh, that we recorded locally have, you know, done work in Broadway. Some of them have been in Hollywood films and some of them have literally never been in front of a microphone. Mm. And it was, you know, it was nice to be able to pay them to act for the first time in their lives. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there, there's such an interesting mix of people here because the, you know, the, the reason most of these people are here is because of uh, teaching jobs in South Korea. And that's the reason I came here for the first time, like I said, after the animation industry collapsed. But it's, and it, especially the people that come out here are the really creative people. Uh, and like I said, they're, they're not able to pursue their passions here professionally mm-hmm. because of their visas. Um, they, they can't go to a local movie studio or anything like that. So it's, there's all this untapped talent. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was able to work with a lot of them and then just open the doors for lots of other people. And there's so, like some of the people that were involved, like I said, it's their first time acting, but they, they just killed it. Like they did great. And it was in the auditions, it was just kind of who sounded believable and, uh, who kind of felt like a character. Cause there's some people that, um, you know, like when I, gave them an improv scenario like they just came to life and i i saw the character in a way i never had um an interesting tip that i learned about auditioning Mm -hmm. uh whenever i'd give them a script even the best actors you know they're looking at something for the first time and it's kind of they don't really understand the stakes like if you if you were to take any scene out of big data like without any of the context Mm. you'd be like what are they talking about (laughs) like what is it what is dns protocol but like and so it, it's hard for them to understand the stake. So after he did that, I'd say, okay, you're the same characters. Now he has stolen your cheesecake. Gotcha. And immediately everyone gets the stakes of somebody stole my cheesecake. So they take what they learned about the character from the previous scene and apply it to cheesecake. And they suddenly came to life. And then that's when I saw, okay, once you get what's going on, this is what you're going to sound like. And so I got a lot of uh, great people on that. I screwed up. I screwed up bad. He called me and he's chasing me down the street naked and now the local cops are chasing him. Damn it, I knew you'd mess this up. Look, I can fix this. He still thinks I'm a guy. I just need to find some clothes to change into so I can get I can get away before they they trace the phone. He had access to your phone and you're calling me on it? Drop the key somewhere so you at least don't get caught with it and you can deny everything. Do you know how much this key's worth? <sighs> Tell me where it is. I'll pick it up. I'm not going to leave it in an alley until you fly in from Canada. I'm in Busan, all right? You what? The writing has a, a wide variety and, and scope as well. Did What I'm trying to um, work out is, did you write all of this in script form and then just give it to your uh, to your many actors or did uh you give them more of a sort of a framework of uh the scene and sort of l- let them improv their way through it because a hell of a lot of it uh feels very organic and i'm wondering how much of it came out beyond the original writing well i wrote i spent like a year writing a very detailed script mm-hmm. and then the the way i recorded was uh we did for each scene we did three or four takes 
the first scene I would is what I called the garbage take, mm-hmm. where I just, you know, we've already rehearsed, but it's they're getting warmed up. I give them the script, they just read it, mm-hmm. and it's always terrible. I never use any of it. And then I'm like, okay, we're warmed up. Now uh, we, I want you to do an extreme take where you're still reading, but whatever, you know, if the character's super scared, the character's super angry, I want you to start at your most extreme point, and then they have to figure out how to be more insane later. And that's just kind of to get their get them warmed up and get them to stop being wooden. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I can use takes from that when I need to do something. Why don't you just stay there for a just while? Go, calm down. Go, do you, do you want go, a cup? go, go. Do you want a just, cup of tea? No, I don't want a fucking do you want cup, a of tea? cup of coffee. Get out, get out, get out of my house. Get out of my house. Hot dog. Get out of my house. And then the third time, um, now up to this point, I've always told them, you're never going to uh, not have a script. You don't have to worry about memorizing the script. Uh, you're going to be able to read. And then this is when I tell them that I lied to them right. because I take away their scripts and I say, okay, you've just done the scene twice. Now just wing it. And they're like, I don't know the words. I'm like, I don't care. I already recorded the words. I want to see how you react to it. Right. And I just let them improvise and it goes in weird places uh, and they go on weird tangents. And then after they do that, I say, okay, now let's do the script one more time. Once you're now that you're in the character, and if you want to add improv, you can. And then I kind of fashion it out of all of those those takes. And uh, you know, it's so. I like I said, I spent a year writing it, but in the end, I liked what they improvised so much better that a lot of times I just threw away the stuff that I'd written for a year, and uh, I I just kind of made it this Frankenstein's monster of of things I wrote and things that they improvised. Now that I've listened to all of it, that makes so much sense in terms of how chaotic it seems at times and like, uh, and how that, that emerged. Do you want to hear about it? Be happening. Do you want to hear about it? No, I don't want to fucking hear about it. Let me, about it? Let me go. Let me go. Well, I, 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 I guess, don't want to hear about it. I guess this is just it then. You're just not, you're just Good. walking away Good. from billions I'm, of dollars. I'm, I can't walk away. I'm tied to the fucking you're bed. Just, you're just walking away metaphorically from billions of of dollars. Okay. Yeah, I really wanted it to feel like uh, like you're really hearing found audio. Mm-hmm. You know, like when, when people have a conversation, they don't stick to the topic and they don't just, you know, say exactly what they need to do to further the plot. They go on weird tangents and they get hung up on things that don't matter. And especially with this is representing, you know, this is kind of representing the Internet and you know, the internet is a place where wherever you go, you're not going to find exactly what you're looking for. People do go on tangents. You you follow links and you go over the place. And just I wanted it to sound chaotic like that. And just I wanted it to sound like the listener was actually involved in this investigation. Like what would it feel like if you had a gigabyte and hours and hours of audio that you had to sift through? Like there, the audience also has to kind of listen and figure out what's important and what are the you know, what's unimportant, what are the clues, and see if they can figure out what's going on for themselves. So which of these many, many characters are your favorites? If you can, like, like, boil it down to, like, five or six, uh, and, and why? Uh, because there's, there's so many to choose from, but, like, some of them are in it for a, a lot more, and some of them are in it for just a short amount of time but make a huge impact. So uh, your personal favorites. Yeah, there were some that were hard not to bring back because I – you know, I, I wanted it to feel like an anthology series. Like each each heist is a little standalone story, and so uh, you know everyone just got their little little bit. But uh, I really like 
I really like Jinhae, the uh, the thief, uh, the Korean thief in the first episode that uh, goes in the bathhouse and steals the pants. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Milan brought a lot to that. Uh, the actor Milan brought a lot to that character. One, I don't whine, okay? And two, you I know, do what I'm told. Do you know what what are you to that? What? You are a secretary. A secretary? What makes you think you're better than me? Because I'm a gangster. <laughs> right. Everybody's scared of me. Yeah? Who's scared of you? You. When have I ever been scared of you? I made you cry. When? Do you remember like 8th grade? Oh, you're going to bring up 8th grade? We, we argued and then you cried like a CC All girl. All boys cry in 8th grade. You know, that's a thing. If, 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 if you listen, keep your ears open, boys get beat up by their sisters all the time. That's normal until they become men. That's the difference between men and boys. Boys get beat up by their sisters, men do not. One thing I never mentioned to Ryan during the interview, which really became apparent while listening to Big Data, there are so many squabbling brother-sister duos in there, or brother-and-sister-style duos. It's something that complements the overlapping dialogue and... Feels like a naturally recurring theme. Markle, the the guy who was obsessed with photocopiers, I'm a yes. big fan of. Uh, just the actor, uh, Michael Grady Wheeler, just made is him he, is so he the one who creepy. had such a distaste for inkjets? Yes, he hates inkjet. <laughs> that was all. That was yeah. There's so much weirdness that came from the improv with that character that just hmm. made him turn really really creepy we will be richer than inkjet and we will ruin inkjet we will put inkjet so far into the ground they will never ruin a person's piece of paper there's ever a again. reason why there's no other company they will they will never ever again have to ruin every anyone's papers or that documents people don't with their it. shit i'm sure you know that it's a billion dollar industry but did you know that while there are a number of machines that can make black and white copies of black and white documents black and white copies of color documents and color copies of color documents that there is not currently a single machine on the market that can make color copies of black and white documents that's right. This this is a completely untapped market. This could be a billion dollar industry within a billion dollar industry. There's a bag of money on the table and no one is grabbing for it until now. Uh, I, I think those are probably my favorites. But I mean, I, I, I love every character in this thing. Like even the tiny little like background characters that have a couple of lines. Like I, I feel like, you know, even the, you know, there's a lot that didn't make it into the show. But like each of these characters, because of the improv, has like this full life and personality, and that's kind of what I what I love about it. Uh, which of the episodes are you most proud of? Which, if you can, if you, one. Yeah, I like the the photocopier episode. That that's mm-hmm. my favorite. So that's like it's, is that four? That is four. Yes. Yeah, it's going dark. Yeah, it, it was it was one of the last ones that I uh, that I wrote, mm. and it just it 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 just is so weird. <laughs> By the time this episode's released, that will be the one that's just been released on the uh, the, the podcast feed. This one's going out this coming Thursday. Uh, so, yeah, you folks can... Like, if you're going to listen to... Like, <clears throat> I'll be honest, the, the first one, Let It All Out, is so chaotic that it, it was hard to get through. The second is where it really starts to take form. So I would almost suggest to you folks out there just like grit your teeth through the first one and then just get through two, three, four, a really kind of you know, much more uh, kind of what it's about. I, th- I, I Let it all out is very, very funny. But it, it, because it's a, a chase through the streets, it's got that sort of like well, where's this going thing and that sustains for a hell of a long time. Luckily, you folks can actually 
you know, keep going straight through rather than just only having one episode to listen to. But um, what complaints have you had from from people? Because I think I, I noticed that you um, put up like a an FAQ on Twitter because I'm assuming you were getting uh, people who just didn't get it or or what. Yeah, I think one of the the main things was that people were like, "Do I have to remember who all these characters are?" Yeah, and I, as I'm trying to explain, no, 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 it's an anthology. Like, uh, you know, I, I, each ha- each episode, the first half is the recurring characters, and the second half is like a Twilight Zone style standalone story. So it's like it, it's like if uh, like the Crypt Keeper had had like a 30 minute scene in every episode of Tales from the Crypt. Like, mm. just because there's recurring <laughs> characters, and you have to remember everybody. And then just uh, like you said, it, it does get a bit chaotic and there is a lot of overlapping stuff that uh, um, I just wanted to warn, make people make sure people know that I, I do know when things overlap and there is nothing that you're missing that's an integral to the point plot. I just those moments are to show that a lot of crap is happening. Oh, another question I had from earlier. <clears throat> any of these 72 guys and girls based on real people, you know, have any of those sort of crept in there? Um, I mean, that's. That's how writers work is that bits and pieces of people you've met in your lives uh, creep into characters subconsciously, but there's no one that directly right. uh, was based on a real person. I don't, I don't know any, uh, any gangsters or, or uh, <laughs> FBI agents. FBI. I don't know any FBI agents. But you know a hell of a lot of geeks, I'm assuming. I do. <laughs> Uh, my personal favorite episode uh, is uh, episode three, Motivation, uh, Music and Magic. That's, uh, that would be the one that I would point people to first. Just it, That works on its own as a uh, where's this going magic act. We realized after watching it that we hadn't seen Now You See Me. And I was like, this, this sounds like what Now You See Me would be like. Then we watched Now You See Me. It's like, oh, that was rubbish compared to <laughs> Motivation. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, the, um, and this also leads on to my next question about music. Cause there's so much music packed in there. And from, from the, what you've told me uh, already in email, the, uh, the music just kind of got away from you in, in that episode. You sort you sort of handed it over and, um, she came up with some really like eerily effective stuff. So uh, yeah, music, how did you get all that together as well? Although you cannot see us. We are everywhere We creep gently o'er the carpet And softly up the stairs Yeah, uh, the re- like that, that one that you mentioned, uh, Motivation, is kind of my musical episode. Uh, and I... There is a palsy on thy dying brain There is a leprosy on thy skin Thy last prophet pleads in vain The seer sits thy proud gates within Because I, I, I really wanted to turn, you know, that song she sings, that is actually the text of the first tech hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, a Morse code tycoon that was on stage and someone hacked his Morse code machine and made it do this rhyme about him diddling people. And uh, I thought it'd be really funny to turn it to a song. Reasoning with thee of righteousness and sin and retribution, men believe him not. The rich more wealth, the great more greatness win. 
The peasant grows a pauper, menial sight. Lords drink and dice, fearing no charlatan's plot. And I, you know, I, like I'm in South Korea. I, what, you know, I, I couldn't really get someone remote to do it because the character also had to be on stage interacting with characters, and yeah. so I wasn't sure if I could find someone that could do it. And uh, but I, I had it as one of the options for people when they auditioned, and this actor named Angelique Lazarus came in and just picked up the paper and just belted out this song that like was so soulful. That I like, I kind of got a tear to my eye, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a song about corporate diddling. Why, why is she making me feel like this? And I just loved it so much that immediately she was cast. And uh, there's a bunch of other songs. And um, yet wide and deep, from mercy to tames, the rankling evils of the capitalist state ripen to ruin. Hell's devouring flames burn in thy breast while sleek red tapists prate of progress that causes advancement to wait. Uh, our, our sound technician, uh, Shane Cole, produced the uh, music to go along with it, and, uh, and they just did some great work on that. And uh, oh, the Broken Telephones song is recurring, and it sounds like it's sung. Is it all sung with the same band in different styles, or different bands in um, uh, in different styles? Yeah. yeah, the Broken Telephone was interesting. That's actually uh, an album that uh, each each song is a cover by the artist before it. Of, uh, no, sorry, it's a cover of the song before it by an artist who's only heard that song one time. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, it's produced by. Uh, Peter Tchaikovsky, who's uh, who's goes by the name Rock Paper Cynic, mm-hmm. and uh, he's actually uh, he told me that that album was inspired by my book Broken Telephone. Uh, when he saw that, he got the idea for it, and so we were kind of working on our projects at the same time. I was writing Big Data, he was doing his album, and then when I heard it, I kind of freaked out because I a lot of the things that these people are singing, you know, they're just kind of trying to vaguely remember what the person before them said. So they kind of start saying a lot of random things and the things that they're saying are kind of describing things that happen in my show. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, nine episodes and there's 18 songs and I'm like, Hey, (laughs) can I put these two per episode in my show? And uh, we worked that out and then uh, it just worked out that it it was kind of like, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon, where it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, it just felt like each one was made to go in the spot that it went. So I, I just uh, put them all in the show, and I think it, it brought a lot to it. We could play broken telephone Till the words we say make up an ancient arcane poem Just got here on their own Language 
And if you love audio drama, I happen to produce one myself. It's called The New Century Multiverse. It's an alternate history set in the ravaged 19th century. Here's a clip. I am the Black Shuck. The twilight streets stretching from Twickenham to Gallows Corner are my stalking ground. This city is a broken woman, beaten, battered, and savagely violated, crying out for salvation through bloodied teeth, and only I hear her plaintive call. I prowl high above cobblestone streets, wet with rain and shining like the tears on a weeping woman's face. Every dark alleyway hides a thief or a murderer, burrowed in like... like burrowing insects. I watch them go about their foul night's work with hungry eyes. I wait for them to enact their unholy sins, and then I swoops in like a black angel of retribution, and I clobbers every one of them. Tonight I see a fine woman walking the street, her pale dress positively glowing in the moonlight, slender shoulders wrapped in a shawl, a basket of food under her arm, no doubt for her kindly but broken grandmama. Only a matter of time, thinks I, before this pretty maid is dragged into one of the oozing crevices in the stonework by one of the grubs that slides through the underbelly. I watch her walk, and know she has only moments left of this fragile purity before it is taken from her. We walk for many streets until I am almost out of rooftop, and have to scramble down to the gutter in order to pass to the next. This is my city. And yet, actually speaking, it's really quite inconvenient sometimes, you know, when you stalk in the night as its dark bringer of justice. Almost immediately, after about 20 minutes, she is approached by a stepney sub-creature. Lovely evening, miss. It certainly is. Spring is in the air. Retribution will not suffice tonight. If there is even the tiniest chance that the man down there will fall upon this maiden and drag her into the sewer, then I must act. It is the duty I swore at my parents when they was leaving London because of all them monsters. Knowing in my mind that her virtue stands upon the precipice, I swoops in from up on high, crushing the hooligan to the pavement beneath me hobnail boots. He screams in pain and tries to escape, but my reflexes are simply too fast. I clobber him with my fighting stick while the lady cowers in a puddle. I turn to her, my imposing frame shrouded in the shadows. I watch her with my eyes. You can go home now, miss. There's dodgy folk abroad. Thank you, sir. How can I repay you? Justice is its own reward. You're very kind. But if you really want to thank me, I suppose we can go down that alley there for a bit of how's your father, and then afterwards... There we are. Now don't worry, the twitching will stop in a bit. Yes, it's horrible, isn't it? All right, I'm just going to bind your hands. You'll need your legs free so I can walk you to my carriage. And really don't struggle or try to... What have you done to me? Oh, this is a device of my own invention, Mr. Shuck. Its effects aren't permanently harmful, but you really don't want another jolt from it. Who are you? How did you know my secret weakness? Shush now. We're going to take a trip to the nice people at the Tower of London. 
You've been causing the watch quite a bit of exasperation. Once you make yourself more than a man, you becomes a legend. No, hey, come back here. Your legs aren't even working properly yet. Look, I'm just walking after you. It's not who I am under this mask, but who I am when I'm in the mask when... <laughs> oh, my legs! I can sense that you are going to be a peculiar nuisance to me tonight. I am the stalking black dog, arbinger, arbinger of doom for the wrongdoer. Now, I'm just going to help this fellow down here. You gave him quite a nasty bump on the head there with that broom handle. Get up now, Sonny Jim. Are you tickety-boo? I'll live. But frankly, since you ask, I feel a bit more afraid to walk the streets. Fear! Fear is my weapon against the cowardly and the superstitious. Here's two gold pieces. Get a doctor to look at that, would you? Hmm? Bless you, Mum. Do you live near here? You're all right getting home? This is actually quite a rough area. Just round the corner. I'll be all right. Ta-ta! Hey! Why isn't anyone paying attention to me? Oh, I will. It's important you know just who handed you your wretched arse, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Mortimer. I've been hunting you for some time, and the bounty should just about pay for the sheer mind-bending annoyance of having to trap and transport you. I should have never trusted a woman. You weren't a defenseless virgin at all. You're a lying, vicious whore. That's disgusting language. Now let's get you to the Watchman, you narcissistic shitpile. No. No. No! That was an excerpt from episode 5 of the current story, The Princess Thieves. Just search for New Century on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Part 2, in which we talk spoilers and endgame material. How did the idea for Relay come across, the um, the one with the girl who has to uh, relay the call for a, a deaf um, caller? Yeah, that, uh, I just wanted some kind of very Hitchcockian-style story that took place entirely over a phone call, and I had the idea that I wanted to see how uh, someone could do something like that, like force someone to give up the key without ever setting foot in the room mm-hmm. and i just uh doing research I, I read about relay calls and i thought that would be an interesting way to do it where you know the bad guy you never hear from and you're hearing from this person that has to read what they're saying and uh it wasn't until much later in the process that i realized that i already had a character that worked in a call center uh manisha is a character that's been in lots of other projects that i've done mm-hmm. and that this was kind of a way to tie the two projects together Oh, so is this like a a cinematic universe of big data? Yeah, yeah. She was in my graphic novel, uh, Broken Telephone. Ah. Uh, And she also was in a prose story that I wrote for uh, the Machine of Death uh, series. Um, There's a book called This Is How You Die. Uh, So she's been in three different projects and three different mediums, prose, comics, and audio. Hmm. And so it was was fun to to bring her into this world. And... uh, um, and yeah, it's uh, just kind of that. That was my attempt at a little Hitchcockian, like closed room hmm. thriller taking place entirely over a phone call. 
See, I had uh, a, a large uh, growing list of uh, suspects for who actually started this, and Manisha was way up the top um, mm. as I was going through because uh, it would just be a fantastic twist for the, you know, her, her performance is, is brilliant, and for that to all have been a performance within a performance uh, to, to sort of lull you into a, you know, to, just to convey the concept that she's conveying but then to twist it around and go no actually it's it's just what you thought in the first place and then when it turned mm. out to not be listening to it a second time it's even more effective so yeah i, I will i'll spoil that for you folks it's not manisha do you do you really want me to read this go ahead honey okay um the the customer says i mm. i have a button in in front of me that can stop your heart. Oh, shit. Go. What? Go ahead. Oh. Are you gonna are you gonna hack into our hearts now? No, don't worry. I got this. Don't not worry. not your heart unless this is June. She's not typing who's saying what, but I'm gathering from the tone and the fact that you didn't say go ahead that this is Abby. I've already hacked the computer in June's heart. <laughs> June, you had your cardio defibrillator put in about five years ago and had it recalibrated multiple times since then. <laughs> Ever wonder why they never had to cut you open to do it? In Deep is the one with the uh, the nervous executive who uh, ends up cornered by um, two completely dodgy people who eventually turn out to be um, very sweet natured. Nerds? <laughs> Sweet nature nerds. Yeah. Yeah. I, the idea was that just I thought it'd be really, really funny. Like uh, I, I had been driving my wife nuts for like a month doing up dog jokes, mm. uh, which it, my wife speaks English as a second language. So it was very easy to do up dog jokes because she's always asking me what words mean. And so I, I had the idea that like what if someone that was already paranoid just like freaked out because someone kept asking them weird questions and like yeah. they, she knew they were up to something and like. The idea was to pull off this big, like, action movie where she, like, saves, like, this paranoid crime thriller. She gets out and saves the day and realizes they're just trying to updog her. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that that's where it came from. And uh, uh, the, the that one actually was really hard. That was one of the last ones I finished because we kept rewriting it. The main thing was that none of the cast got any of the jokes. Mm. They had never heard of updog jokes. And I kept trying to explain it, and they totally didn't get it. So I kind of rewrote it to work without that, and then it got really dark and, and and creepy, and it just felt really weird that like it was so dark, but they were they were still making bad jokes. So mm -hmm. then I we we actually went uh, the very last thing we did was I brought back in some of the actors and we re we recorded some some stuff to to make it work better. I don't even know any jokes. Do you know the one about good baby? What's good, baby? Not much, baby. What's good with you? What the hell are you talking about? <gasps> it's a joke. I mean, I don't you're, know if you you're get a joke. It. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think you'll get it because you're not smart enough, actually. God damn you. Okay. <laughs> it's an up dog joke. You have to think to get it. What's up dog? Not much, dog. What's up with you? Okay, focus. <laughs> How are we proposing this? Do you remember the chapter she wrote on the deal, honey? No, what's the deal, honey? Not much, honey. What's the deal with you? Please stop. <laughs> it's so funny. Can isn't you please it? stop oh doing my that? God. <laughs>
God damn you. Okay. <laughs> like I said, the, uh, the 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 sweetness to them is kind of what sells that one. And uh, I, I do like how at the very end you pretty much uh, account for everybody who suddenly and, and uh, terrifyingly disappears from the uh, situation. Like um, Abby coming back around was reassuring because the, 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 mm-hmm. the end of Relays disturbing in a good way as in like it you you achieve that kind of hitchcock like you know it goes from being very very cocky to escalating into something genuinely upsetting so it's uh nice to hear that a yeah, that Abby a came of, around and b that she and june are no longer a thing yeah for for people <laughs> that listen to the credits there's it's a lot it's a lot happier show mm. especially with uh with the, the episode we just talked about uh um, if for people who stuck around after the credits, you find out that nobody actually died for for yeah. updogging anyone. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Originally, like in the darker version, like he was straight up dead, like in the show, and it was really depressing. Yeah. So I'm like, let's let's re-record that and make it goofier because it's it needs to be goofier. It's kind of imperative, actually, with the with the um the the generally terrifying prospect of of losing the internet throughout. <clears throat> that uh, and with the goofy tone, that you match that with a relatively like minimal body count. I think the only person who ends up like properly dead, dead is that insane racist. Was he was he a policeman or an actor playing a policeman? He was a he, a fired policeman that became a security guard. Gotcha. Yeah. So is he his the father, only? His the father only, was an actor. That's and, it. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. He's the only person that died. Yeah. I, I there's still all these lines where characters talk about all the people that died, but I actually edited out all the people that died. So oh, right. it's just him. Well, that, like I said, that's, that's oddly reassuring and fits with the the slightly goofier tone. Yeah, and that and that one, I I, I let I I really wanted that one to be really dark like yeah, that yeah. that one was really fun to do because uh i since we are getting into spoilers like where she yeah we we'll just she, assume she, that everyone listening now has heard the whole thing yeah uh like i i really wanted to have her trapped under a dead body in the darkest point in the whole series and have to do ad copy <laughs> I, I I wonder how many people listened to that and thought that was a real company and a real ad. There is no such thing as overnight underwear. I just really wanted, like it, it's it just I was you know I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I hear a lot of ads and especially like in radio dramas like I um like I love the black tapes mm-hmm. but it sounds so weird when like you know you're in this really tense scene and then they do ad copy as the character and uh and I'm like someone just died. Can you not use it as you know, as a cutesy little, uh, um, you know, when I have to send black tapes, I'm like, someone just died for one of those tapes, woman. Even, Jeez, you know, so I would so, never do that. Yeah, it's you know, um, so so I, I thought I'd, you know, take that and take it a step further, where I actually mm. really put it in the tone of the show and made it really dark. Yeah. What? I have to read ad copy. Uh, legally, I can't go off the air until I do. Why do you have to read ad copy? Well, I had to pay for the flight to California, so I got a sponsor. Well, hurry up and read it! Do you need lingerie today? Overnight underwear can fulfill your intimate apparel needs at the speed of night garments. Whether you... What? Uh, get it off again! Uh, oh uh, uh, whether you wear boxers, briefs, uh, bras, or boosters, long johns, G-strings, I think, whiteies, or gritty panties. Uh, 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 overnight underwear has you covered. No. I, one thing I liked about that, though, was that the, um, the... To me, part of the point was getting people to think about what their stakes in the internet are. Um, mm-hmm. And t- to have this 
uh, this thriller where you've got all of this, uh, you know, undercover stuff and um, and sort of sneaking around and, and potentially dangerous activity going on. Um, that the bulk of the stakes for people was not to do with who dies. It's not necessarily to do with who is physically hurt. It's about what um, what does this technology mean for you? What will you lose if those seven keys get used or destroyed? Yeah, there, there are so many movies these days that, you know, the stakes are always the world's going to end. And it's really, you know, I, I enjoy those movies, but it's really hard to care anymore, like... You know the world's going to be saved. I've seen it in Jeopardy a million times. Mm. A bunch of people are going to die. And, you know, like, in the real world, that would be upsetting. But I know that this is a movie, and I know that they're CG people. But, like, I wanted everyone's stakes to be really, really personal mm. and uh, and just have fun, goofy, weird fun with it. Yeah, well, it, I mean, again, you know, one of my favorite episodes was, um, was Give Me Space. And part of that um, was about what she was losing by the fact that she got exactly what she'd hoped to find, and yet it was all a setup. And I actually, yeah. I, it, despite the fact that there's, um, I mean, obviously there's there's the implied threat of the fact that you know he's extremely creepy and, and potentially very very scary, and you don't know what his the guitarist. Yeah, you don't know ultimately what his motivations are at that point. Um, but at the same time, what got to me more was the fact that he'd misled her over something that was so important to her mm-hmm. yeah 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 he thought it was the right thing to do because he's yeah. creepy and weird indeed <laughs> i did like the end where I, I, he um signed off saying that she, you know he was really hoping she wouldn't find out about the, mm-hmm. the, the whole thing and uh, that was a, a touch of extra humanity which um makes him more of a complex character and less of a total 100 percent creep yeah, i think that if the, the one spoiler that you can give any episode of Big Data is it was a nerd. Was <laughs> <laughs> it aliens? No, it was that's, a nerd. That's just the standard. <laughs> yeah. This is a safe space. You can say the words, why did I stop looking for aliens? Uh, yeah, okay. Fair you enough. mean... Why did I stop looking for aliens? Besides feeling like a sad ex waiting by the phone for a call that may never come, oh, ever. Not bad, huh? Well, I don't know if I can say that bad, but you know... It's exhausting, even though I really loved it. I don't care that no one ever answered. I could just listen to space all day. You are literally aiming a time machine at the point in the sky and witnessing something that traveled for tens of thousands of years to get there. And it would have kept right on going if you hadn't have been there to hear it, you know? <laughs> Do you wait that long for a guy to call you back? <laughs> they always call me back. Oh, whatever. I don't believe that for a second. You're too busy listening to space. Oh, you know, in college, I used to lie on my dorm room floor with headphones on and just listen to Voyager recordings. Oh, did you have those big 70s headphones? <laughs> yeah, those were the ones. Kids used to walk by and ask what I was listening to, and I'd just say, Oh, the stones, man. Oh, you were afraid to tease you. That wasn't just a hypothesis. I had a lot of data to back that one up. I think I was also just into it, and I didn't want to take a break to explain how interactions between solar wind and electromagnetic fields on Jupiter can create a bitchin' track when you record them at 20k hertz. And when did you become a believer? A believer in what? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Don't make me say it, man. Oh, in aliens? Uh-huh. 
and aliens. Listen, I intelligent don't, life. And I don't believe. I just hope. The only proof is philosophical, and my job with SETI was to gather whatever hard evidence we could, not to prove something we already decided was true. Okay, so going dark and, and that guy tied to the bed. So how the hell did that one come around? Was it um, just the idea, like, cause when it turns into a sales pitch for a new company idea, that, like, that turns it from being something disturbing to something hilarious and disturbing. Yeah, my, my idea was just to have, like, a take a horror scenario, but someone that doesn't know that they're creepy mm-hmm. and just kind of throws away the script. And, you know, I just... I just had fun with how the victim doesn't know how to react because, like, he's in this horrifying situation and he should be fearing for his life, but this guy is just so weird and, like, focusing on things that should not matter in that situation. And I just I just wanted to play with that and um, and kind of... I, I, it was just fun to, to figure out what that guy, you know, the villain's morals actually were because he was so upset about some things but some things he just the things that he did he just did not see as bad at all Mm. and it was just that one was just kind of a a character piece like uh you know kind of misery but uh Mm. once again the spoiler it's a nerd (laughs) that that does tend to be the the best kind of villain though the the whole everybody thinks they're righteous thing you know nobody who who comes across as a real person thinks they're creepy their behavior to them seems perfectly rational because they know their motivations and generally speaking the the feeling that well if everybody knew what i was really feeling and why i was really doing this then they'd understand um, and I think that um, that really came across in that episode. I quite like the way that was uh, that was delivered and received by the, the poor guy lying there thinking, Thank "What the yeah. hell?" And the- yeah, that's uh, that's a recurring theme I try to have in my work. The the prequel, this uh, broken telephone, which is the comic I keep talking about, mm-hmm. uh, which has some shared character. This is a totally different story. Uh, the idea of broken telephone was that uh, each chapter follows the villain of the chapter before it. Uh, but everyone thinks that they're the hero of the story, and so it's everyone doing what they think is right, but it causes problems for everyone else, and uh, and that that's the kind of story that I like to tell. I I I completely dislike the you know mustache twirling, I am evil villain because there's there's no one like that. Mm. Even the most awful people think that they're totally rad. And the deluded and misguided can make the some of the best antagonists. As well, which mm-hmm. yeah, then completely that that can be converted into them being protagonists. Uh, motivation, music, and magic again, really my still my favorite. Rats, 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 rats. There was a young fellow of Italy who did the public quiet prettily. He gave a sweet sermon, but I. Like vermin and spread his disease quite liberally. An infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality. Peace, ye fat guts, you vile standing tuck. Such waste in bereavement, more 
immortality You scullion, you rampallion You fusilarian I'll tickle your catastrophe I'll tickle your catastrophe I'll tickle your catastrophe I'll tickle your catastrophe uh, there seemed like this one had like an axe to grind about I suppose, the the purse string holders, the, the the people claiming responsibility and requiring the patronage at the top of the internet. Um, so yeah, wh- where did that come from? Uh, yeah, the the whole thing about patent trolls. Just yeah. um, uh, I mean, I there was a This American Life episode about patent trolls that I I had remembered, and that's what kind of had them in mind. But when I when I found out about that first Morse code hack, mm. um, that that was the, that was the reason it was done is because someone was upset about someone hoarding patents way back in uh, you know a couple hundred years ago. Mm. Um, it just it just sounded like an interesting thing to tie that history into modern day, and uh, I did so much research for that one. I read like thousands of pages worth of magic books. Like I mm. I read like every word that the uh, masculine family ever wrote. This this legacy of magicians and uh it went from being like this really really short little the original idea was just i wanted to do like i'm a big fan of darren brown and i want to do something similar to that but then once i started learning this history it went from like a little 10 minute scene to like uh i think the first cut was like an hour and 10 minutes long i really had to cut it down Mm. uh because i i just put in so much history it was just all fascinating to me And, and it's it's you know it's not really something that i set out like i want to speak out against patent trolls it just kind of thematically uh tied everything together and all the stuff that i was learning about history it pays off the um one of the benefits and this is just occurred to me while you were saying this of audio over i think any other um uh medium is it feels like it's easiest to entertain and inform people at the same time i don't know why that is with audio i might be barking up the wrong tree here but um you can slip in a hell of a lot of uh, research into what people say in audio that just sort of goes in and people sort of all taking it on board in in, in if, if you're reading it it can become like you can pause while you're reading and going hang on is this a fucking history lesson? And if you're watching it on TV, you can sort of see the sort of hallmarks of let us all stop right now to, to learn about this. But for some reason in audio, it just seems to be easier to weave. Does that make any sense at yeah, all? I, you know, I think audio is something, and especially audio drama, uh, is something that people can listen to while they're doing other things. When yeah. you're on the bus, when you're riding your bike, you're doing the dishes. Yeah. And, you know, my I actually thought a lot about this. Like, how far can I go? Because I know that, like, I knew that if I were making a TV show and I tried to fit in like a 40 minute lesson on the history of magic, like it, people would turn tune out. But I, I'm like, I'm going to give it a try with this because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of podcast people listen to that are just, you know, about history, about, uh, learning about something or just, you know, the same thing with wondering how far I could go with these tangents people go on. Like, uh, there's a lot of, uh, just discussion shows where people, go off on ridiculous tangents and kind of never really come back to the original topic. And I, I just thought people like listening to these things. I like listening to these things. What if this thing also happened in the middle of a heist to add extra, you know, it's, if it's something people would be interested to listen to anyway, let's add a crime drama to it 
as a framing structure and then, uh, you know, make it the best of both worlds is something that I was trying to do. I think it works particularly well in that episode, too, because of the framing of the magic show. It comes across as uh, you can you can interpret it as just all part of the misdirection that you're you're thinking about this while something else is happening going on over here. You're thinking about something completely different. Meanwhile, we're educating you and you don't even know it. That, that was another one that took a lot of rewriting because the original draft was just about him. uh you know, being able to do the tricks. And I, I, you know, I had this whole magic show that he did or each, each trick he did got him a piece of information. Mm. But then I was, as we were practicing it, I realized that the thing that makes a magic show interesting is that everything goes right and you don't know how they did it. But if it's fiction, you know how they did it. Cause the guy just wrote it that way. Yeah. So I had to go back and rewrite it where things went wrong. And that's where the whole, you know, Macy's backstage stuff was, was happening that I wanted it to be all going wrong but on stage seemed like it was going all right mm-hmm. and uh and that was it's an interesting thing to try and make something interesting to an audience when the main thing that's interesting about it which is i don't know how he did that is taken away and the finale um if we're going to sort of like tie it up to because the whole way through the the your natural inclination while you're listening is to be paying attention to clues and to try and be compiling the way you sell it you've got those the little characters linked by the pins and the red string and you're sort of trying to tie it together yourself the end it's not dissatisfying it's it kind of becomes more of a sort of a profound well this is almost inevitable that if you even just talk about the uh, the end of the internet, that the human race will conspire to make it happen. Um, so, like, did you have that ending in mind when you started it, or was it kind of a something that, that emerged organically as you went through? Like, it, it feels like almost that the end that, that the internet as it is has got this self destructive streak so wide that this could actually happen. Yeah, I. I... It is something that came organically, and I I was worried that you know someone was going to be disappointed that it wasn't someone that was set up earlier. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, there are many people that were set up earlier that had a hand in it, but ultimately, I just wanted to keep continue the theme of uh, that this wasn't some big mastermind. Yeah. Like the the whole thing, I never wanted to do was have one mastermind that can control everything. I wanted it to be this game of broken telephone. Uh, where everyone made one stupid mistake and someone else did something else stupid and it just kind of snowballed into this giant apocalyptic thing. And I, the, the, the other big thing about that is that, uh, um, like that whole series of heists was actually my idea for season two. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I can do seven more heists with the backup keys and the backup recovery keys. And then I'm like, Oh, it's just, Let's just cram it all into one episode. Let's have one giant mega episode that's everything season two would have been mm. uh, and just go nuts with it. And I, I had a lot of fun kind of creating this weird web that may, you know, when you're listening, it probably just sounds like a whole long list of insanity. But uh, I, I really kind of mapped out what happened and what affected what. And mm. uh, yeah, just kind of a game of broken telephone that went nuts. So what are you most proud of in the whole experience so far? 
Uh, I think I'm I'm most proud of the fact, for me personally, that I've enjoyed every part of the process. Like I've, I've worked in so many different mediums, from you know writing and comics and like uh, film and. There's always parts that I enjoy. Like I love making comics, but actually drawing comics, I don't actually like doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a step in the process I have to do to to get it out to an audience. But for this, I enjoyed every part of it, and just uh, I feel like I was able to get the best out of a lot of very talented people. Just kind of sharing what they were able to do and having not having too much ego that I didn't listen to their input or hmm. that I would have slavishly stuck to my script uh, and just kind of let everyone's influence kind of make it a, a better show. So this the, this whole thing was funded with Kickstarter, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I paid everyone myself out of pocket and then just really, really hoped the Kickstarter would fund <laughs> so that I could continue to have a home. Wow. Uh, so uh, are you going to do uh, a Kickstarter for your, for your next thing? Uh, well, I, I don't know what's ha- how I'm going to fund it yet, but I am I am writing bigger. I literally have the window for bigger data open right now, and I was writing it up until we started this. Seriously, so, bigger data. Uh, that's bigger the first data. time I've I've heard that. Is that uh, common knowledge? Uh, well, I, I've mentioned it a few times online, but yeah, I'm 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 working. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but I I kind of am in love with it now, so I'm going to make bigger data. Okay, right, fantastic. That's that's great to hear. So, I mean, I, I'm trying yeah, it's to like... funny. I, I actually specifically wrote because I, I always have so many projects I want to do that I wanted this to be one and done. So I specifically wrote a show hmm. where the last episode was the internet blowing up, so I could so never make another can't episode do it again. I was just about to and say then, they're going to like create a Stone Age internet based on Morse code, or is this going to be the uh, Telegraph uh, networks? Yeah. Well, one one day I, I took a bus ride and I forgot my headphones, so I started thinking, and then I'm like, oh, what if I did this, and then. I accidentally wrote a whole season, so. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when that happens. You, uh, <laughs> you wrote a show by mistake. Um, yeah. so, okay, so uh, what are some of your favorite audio drama podcasts? Uh, let me see. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Greater Boston. Who uh, You heard some of them in, in the show. They were nice enough to record some mm-hmm. some bits for me. It's a, it's a kind of very literary show, people call it, that's about uh, – just about this interesting alternate version of Boston and the characters that populate it. And, uh, I, one of my favorites is, uh, dead authors podcast, which is, is kind of, uh, a mix between an audio drama and a converse, like an interview show, because it's, um, Paul F. Tompkins, uh, is the host and he, uh, uh, he has improv artists come on and play dead authors and he interviews them, and they kind of build a story out of it as it happens. And it's it's dead authors. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out. Always really interesting. Some some of the people get really into it and research, and some people are just like, sure, Plato, sure, I can I can make something up. A lot of other great shows like uh, Wooden Overcoats, Bright Sessions, Ars Paradoxica. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of a uh, lot of audio drama these days. Oh, and of course, Black Tapes. Of course, yeah, is a, is a great show. Fantastic, thank you. Um, so, where can people get hold of you if they want to to, to follow you and, and check, keep keep track of your work and uh, of the production of bigger data data data? Uh, however, we say it, yeah. Well, I'm available at ryanestrada.com. All my social media and email links are there, and then of course, big data is at bigdata.show. 
Ryan, thank you so, so much for being so generous with your time today. It's, uh, it's been really fantastic talking to you. Um, thank you. It's been great talking to you. Okay. So we will be back next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. out. 